Hey guys, welcome back to That Florida Feeling. How's everybody today? Did you guys see my zoo videos? Oh, I love the penguins. They're so cute. Hope you guys have had a good week. Happy Friday. Uh, it's actually been a quiet week other than the zoo. Um, spring breakers are pretty much going back right now. Snowbirds are going home. And locals have no idea what to do because there's not as much traffic. But that'll probably only last about a month. <laughs> I am glad to know that you guys don't go to just touristy areas. I'm glad that you guys visit some of the local areas, too. Um, you always find so much more fun stuff there. And usually better food. Price a little bit cheaper. So I told you guys we would do a fun episode this week. I think this is a good one. This is actually one of the most requested um, that I get a lot since I've actually started the podcast uh, it's because you guys were so interested in the Florida State Parks, and I love these state parks, and there are so many. So, here's part three. And I know people are always looking for new places to explore in Florida, so, you know, I figured this also never disappoints. These are usually the ones I get the most listeners on, because everybody always asks, what's your favorite state park? What's a new state park? Where should I go? So, I picked out a couple more to talk about. A couple more places to explore, especially since summer's coming up couple facts though before we move on to the parks florida state parks have been recognized numerous times for being some of the best in the nation florida has 175 state parks which is why we're only on part three <laughs> and nine state trails that actually encompass more than 800,000 acres the state parks usually work with a nonprofit, so it's kind of named like friends of whatever the state park is, and that really helps them to assist with volunteers and help enhance the parks, keep them clean, and it's really just a good way also to get the parks out there. Um, there is a nominal fee for a lot of the parks, uh, but it's usually worth it. Like, a lot of the parks have recreational areas and picnic areas and grill areas, and that little fee helps keep these up, um, so it's definitely worth it. But also, some parks have separate fees because they have cabins, marinas, campsites, lighthouses, you know, and a couple other activities you can do in the park that cost a little bit more. The parks together, though, offer over 3,600 family campsites, 186 cabins, thousands of picnic tables, 100 miles of beaches, and over 2,600 miles of trails. The parks are open year-round, and they offer activities such as fishing, hiking, camping, some have horseback riding, some have uh, facilities for birding, lighthouses, beautiful beaches. It's, you know, fun stuff. And some you can actually rent canoes and paddleboards at, which I think is really cool because that gives you another way to explore the park. You can actually even see battle reenactments in some of the parks, as well as enjoy freshwater springs and, of course, the beaches. A few parks re were even privately owned attractions and were purchased by the state. Some of those include Rainbow Springs and Wikiwachi. Fun facts, you can find state parks in 58 of the 67 counties. Nine of the parks do not actually have state park in the title. Four of them are conservation areas. Three are historical slash archaeological sites. There is one with a fishing pier and one with an actual recreational area. Seven of the parks are underdeveloped, which means there's little to no facilities, so it's purely about nature. Ten are accessible by ferry or private boat only. 13 of the parks contain national natural landmarks, and there are 11 national parks in Florida that also go with the state parks. And chances are that with all of that included, there is something that fits your interests, so there's literally a state park for everyone. 
So the first park I want to talk to you about is Alfred B. McClay Gardens State Park. Um, this park is 1,100 acres or about 1,100 acres. And it's in, it's actually considered a Florida State Park Botanical Garden and Historic Site all in one. So it's got a lot going on. It's actually really beautiful. The park is located in Tallahassee. And it is home to some beautifully manicured gardens, also known as the U.S. Historic District in, all right, I'm going to mispronounce this, Killern Plantation Archaeological and Historical District. Uh, Killern is a Scottish word, so forgive me on the mispronunciation. The park is also on the National Register of Historic Places, as it does contain 18 historic buildings, four structures, and four objects. Side note, I do not know which of the four objects are, but I now need to go to this place so I can figure out that, because that was just really interesting. Like, all right, I get the buildings, I get the structures, but objects? Um, but if you've been to McClay and you know what these objects are, please tell me. Please email me. Um, the property does have a long history. It is associated with McClay. For him, it was obviously named after, and it was part of the Lafayette Land Grant. The land grant was a gift by the U.S. government of about 23,000 acres of real estate in what was then Lee County. The land was part of the Andalusia Plantation in Antebellum times, and it produced cotton. Now, in 1882, uh, the plantation did see a change, and they realized that they needed to do something different, and they became a vineyard. And they actually produced wine until Leon County, which is where they are currently today, voted to go dry in 1904. Boo. The estate then changed hands and became a quail hunting estate called Lac Cal. So as you can tell, this plantation land grant has actually a pretty interesting history. It's changed. It's, it's had facelifts a couple times and changed what it does. And then in 1923, New Yorker Alfred Barmore McClay, son of Robert McClay, purchased the 1900-acre Lac Cal plantation and adjoining lands. He created a 3,700-acre estate called Killiern, which is where that Scottish word comes in that I probably just mispronounced again. McClay developed the gardens continuously up until his death. He was very passionate about it. They were really his happy place. Um, and his wife, Louise, knew this, and she continued to take care of the gardens and even opened them to the public in 1946. And then in 1953, she donated about 300 acres to the Florida Development of Environmental Protection, and the gardens were renamed in 1965 in McClay's honor. So he does live on through his gardens to this day. And the gardens are beautiful. Uh, I've only seen pictures. I've not been. This is on my bucket list. But the garden is full of azaleas, cam camellias. Probably mispronounced that too, sorry. Words, y'all. Uh, which is the main plants in the garden. So these two are the ones that are the main centerpieces in the garden. And they're complemented by different types of trees. So there's actually a really cool kind of forest thing going on you can find bald cypress black gum dogwood hickory holly japanese maple red bud and oak trees just name a few types that you'll be able to walk through in this garden you can also find ginger jasmine magnolias palmettos sago palms and yucca in the gardens they were very passionate about it and they wanted to make it very beautiful for themselves and now for other people to enjoy and they also wanted to branch out and grow different things uh things that you might not naturally see in florida but there is the front gardens that actually are mainly native plants too in florida which include the florida flame azalea the white wild indigo and the florida anise 
you can take self-guided tours through these gardens. They say the best time to look at them is from January to April, so this is right about the end of it. And this is supposed to be when they're in full bloom, so you can fully enjoy the flowers and the plants. The gardens do include two lakes, uh, Lake Hall, which is a smaller lake in the park, and then Lake Overstreet, which is a larger lake that, compl- that lies completely within the park, and you can only access it by hiking. The cool thing about the gardens, though, is, is that they want everyone to enjoy it, so the park does have wheelchairs and a motorized chair for exploring the gardens in a self-guided tour, as well as a reflection pool and a walled garden. As you can tell, the McClays really loved their uh, estate. I lost the word estate, y'all. Sorry, estate. And the park also features their original house. Uh, in 1909, the McClay house was, well, that's the heyday of it, is in the early 1900s. And so, basically, when they redid the house... And they refurnished it, and they wanted it to appear in about that time period. So, you can go and you can see how a house would have looked in the early 1900s, which is kind of cool. The house is, though, only open during high blooming season. So, again, January to April, it's about to close. And the park um, has this house as a museum. They wanted to preserve not only McClay's legacy, but how life would have been in Florida in the early 1900s, which I think is kind of cool, as well as preserving the gardens. And the park does offer other experiences other than a gardens and a museum. And it does really kind of have something for everybody. Uh, The trails are a huge draw for this park. It's actually one of the main attractions outside the gardens. The park has over five miles of multi-use trails, which can be used for hiking, biking, or even horseback riding. The trails afford views of Lake Overstreet and a ravine system that offers amazing views. You can also go on an additional three miles of designated bike trails that provide scenic trails. The trails around Lake Overstreet offer great views of the wildlife, as it is not used for motorboats, so you can go out on the lake, you just have to do paddling or paddleboards, uh, pedal boats, and that's really kind of cool that they've preserved the lake and the surrounding area not to disrupt the wildlife. Uh, you can fish and go geo-seeking, of course paddling, canoeing, and swimming at this park. Uh, and of course the lake is a great place you can swim. I just think it's really cool that they don't let you have motors to explore the lake. The park also has a pavilion and a playground and a visitor center that allows you to make the most of your day while visiting. It is open for 365 days in the year. It is open from 8 a.m. to sunset, so you can make a full day of it. And the McClay House is open, of course, January through April from 9 to 5. So right now uh, would be probably the best time it's about to end for the year. So if you do find this park very interesting and you do want to take hikes in these beautiful trails and see the lake and early Florida living this is definitely going to be a park for you they do have a fee for the park and of course an extra fee for the gardens so depending on what you want to do it'll cost you a different amount to enter the park but if you're in the panhandle region and you want something new to do or something fun for the day I definitely would recommend checking this park out now the next park I want to introduce you to is um, another one that really focuses more on history the Bulo Plantation His- Ruins and Historic State Park. That's a long name. This park is in Flagler Beach, Florida, so just a little bit south of uh, St. Augustine and Daytona. And the ruins actually sit three miles to the west of Flagler Beach. The state park contains ruins of an antebellum plantation and a sugar mill that was actually built of coquina. Um, for those of you who don't know, coquina is a very hard substance the Castillo de San Marco is made out of it and it's like formed when shells and sand mix and it creates this hard concrete rock mixture 
very sturdy. And the plantation was actually the largest in East Florida in this time. Um, sadly, it was operated by slave labor. Um, so the plantation was developed in the beginning of 1821 by Major Charles Wilhelm Bulow, who got 4,600, about 4,600 acres on the Tidal Creek, which is now Bulow Creek. He had 2,200 acres cleared because he wanted to cultivate crops such as indigo, cotton, rice, and sugarcane. The plantation was inherited by John Bulow, his son, when uh, Major Charles Bulow passed away. John was only 17 at the time. The plantation was also used by John James Otterbon, um, who to explore the area and continue study of the American birds. Bulow had constructed a sugar mill on his plantation about this time to further his economic gain. The plantation actually stayed operational until it was abandoned and further destroyed during the Seminole War in 1836. The property and ruins were acquired by the state of Florida in 1945 and then further dedicated as a state historic park in 1957. The park has been added to the National Register of Historic Places that's been on that list since 1970. And the park is definitely a great place to learn about Florida's past. You can explore the ruins. You can also take in wildlife that's abundant to the area. And if you do choose the wildlife route, you're likely to see bald eagles, raccoons, deer, swallowtail kites, and you might even see a manatee in the creek that runs through the park. And the park is well known for its recreational activities outside of the museum and the ruins, such as hiking, fishing, canoeing, kayaking, and picnicking on the grounds. The park does feature a 6.8-mile hiking trail that goes through the park around the ruins and takes you to the edge of Bulo Creek. You can see the foundation of the plantation house as well as the ruins of the sugar mill. And, of course, the trail has these on different parts. The plantation does sit closer to the creek bed, which makes sense to me. I think that would be a beautiful view. Uh, the park also lets you see how the area would have looked before the plantation because, fun fact, they let the forest reclaim land and... Now, instead of plowed fields, it is reclaimed by the forest. So that's why the wildlife is more abundant there. And you can enjoy the hiking trails through these forests. You could even launch a boat into the creek or fish off the banks of the river. And fun fact, the creek is a mixture of fresh and saltwater fish. So you never know what you're going to catch. It is also recognized as part of the state canoe trail. You can rent a canoe from the park office or bring your own to explore the creek. You can also use the boat ramp to launch a small powerboat. Although, they don't let you launch a boat over 16 feet. I guess the creek is not quite that big. The park is also a fun place to go and enjoy a picnic on the banks of the creek. You can rent pavilions or just sit on the banks to enjoy scenery while you enjoy a meal or a snack or even just take in the scenery. But food is, it's always better when food's involved, guys. Just saying. <laughs> the park does have enough to do to make a full day out of visiting. And the area is beautiful, especially on the banks of the creek. And it is worth checking out. Although this park is not does not operate like a normal state park. It is only open Thursday through Monday from 9 to 5. The admission is $4 per vehicle. Of course, there's an extra fee if you rent a canoe. I like this park because it does take a look back into Florida's history. Um, you can explore the outdoors of Central Florida, take in the wildlife, take in the history, and see, you know, really how far Florida's come. The last park I want to tell you about is um, actually back up to the Panhandle. And it's literally the last stop in Florida before you hit Alabama. And, of course, I'm talking about Perdido Key State Park. 
It's a 290-acre Florida State Park, and it is located on a barrier island. The park sits 15 miles southwest of Pensacola. If you're wondering what a barrier island is, a barrier island is the islands that protect the Florida mainland from the harsh effects of the storm. They also provide habitats for shorebirds and other coastal animals. Um, the barrier islands are actually beautiful. They usually have white, sandy, sweeping beaches, uh, rolling sand dunes that are covered in sea oats, and it's really just a beautiful place. It kind of makes you forget that you are anywhere near rapidly growing Florida or some large city such as Pensacola or close to Alabama. You just kind of... It's kind of a takes you away from everything um and the beach obviously provides a beautiful place for swimming and sunbathing and it's a little more quiet than some of those other florida cities the park obviously is popular for swimming because it is crystal clear waters of the gulf of mexico and i'm telling you guys if you've never been to those beaches it is some of the most beautiful um i cannot recommend the panhandle beaches enough they are pristine and protected and beautiful and they have some awesome shells and, of course, these beautiful sandy beaches make it fun for sunbathing as well as swimming. You can also do fun things like bird watching, and you can even fish in this state park. Um, if you're watching for birds, you're likely to see seabirds, shorebirds, and, of course, migrating birds that pass through, depending on the time of year. And if you're fishing, you're probably surf fishing, which is actually a super popular activity in this park. You can stand on the shore and catch redfish, pompano, whiting, flounder, and several other saltwater types of fishes. The park actually has a small hiking trail that allows you to walk along this beautiful beachfront park to take in more of it and see the wildlife and the sand dunes and the sea oats and just find less crowded spots that really just allow you to have your small sliver of paradise in this crazy state. The park also is known for shelling. The best time to go shelling though in this park is actually during the winter months. Um, that's probably because there's less people and less people means more shells. More shells means better chance of finding good shells or larger shells. And, I mean, you can go year-round, but due to the less tourists, I think that you're probably able to find more different, larger, better. Um, side note, if you ever want to find the best shells, wait for a hurricane or a uh, tropical storm to pass either right offshore or just go by. And you can find some amazing shells all up and down the beaches at that point. Back to Perdido Key, though. The cool thing about Perdido Key, though, is this park has a beach wheelchair. And you can use it at no cost, so it allows anyone to be able to take in the beautiful sandy beaches of Florida. The boardwalks do go all the way to the beach, so it allows people with mobility issues to get to the sand and enjoy it as they take in the sun and surf, which I think is really cool. Um, side note, it was actually super fun to go to that mobility mat uh, thing at Madeira Beach, and I'll talk to you guys about that again in a minute for the podcast, but I just had to say that. Um, but while you're at Petito Key for the whole day, you can enjoy the picnic facilities, which tables, grills, and restrooms. You do, however, need to bring your own sunscreen, food, and water to enjoy your day. There is no concession stand here, unfortunately, but they do have outdoor showers and bathrooms. And the beaches at Petito Key are beautiful, less crowded, especially from, say, September to February. Uh, we actually went to Petito Key when we first moved to the Panhandle. We were actually supposed to move to Partido Key when we first moved to the Panhandle. It is rapidly grown around in that area, obviously not in the state park, uh, but when we were going to go, there was not a lot there. Um, it's still a beautiful area. I just remember how white the sand is and how beautiful blue the waters were, and there's just so much space to enjoy it to yourself. I love that area. I cannot recommend this enough this park is beautiful and if you're looking for a quiet place to get away to enjoy the florida sunshine especially in 
September to November, this is definitely probably a place you should check out. So, I hope you guys have found a couple new places to explore in Florida. I do want to mention Madeira Beach. I had the uh, experience this week of being able to go and do a ribbon cutting at Madeira Beach because they got a mobility mat. And that was honestly one of the coolest experiences, guys. I think that the people who support this are doing a wonderful job. I think it's great that the Gulf beaches want to have the ability for everybody to get to the sand and actually see the ocean and get near the water. And so it was just a really cool thing. It's something I'm definitely supporting now, and I was super excited to get to go, and I just cannot say it enough. Uh, the people in the wheelchairs that actually got to go onto the beach and see it and be with their friends on the beach, that was just a very cool experience, you guys. Um, but... So, yeah, definitely, definitely a cool thing I got to do this week. I just wanted to say that. Um, so, definitely shout out to Madeira Beach and everybody who works hard to take care of it and make it a very welcoming place. Speaking of that, though, guys, if you do go to the beaches or the state parks, please leave the wildlife alone. Please take your trash with you. If you're going to go on the beach, don't leave a large hole or a mound. This is the sea turtles and the wildlife. That's their home, not ours. Please take care of it and leave it better than you found it. But I will tell you that while you enjoy the parks or the beaches, you must keep an eye out for not only the wildlife, but for Florida Man. I'm telling you guys, they just come out of nowhere. And today's Florida Man actually comes out of Naples. This Florida Man was arrested for eating pasta. Okay, well, I've eaten pasta. You know, why didn't I get arrested? Well, that's probably because you were not eating pasta drunk in an olive garden and shoveling it into your mouth with your bare hands. People tend to frown upon this. That's why forks were invented. But the man did do this very thing and caused a disturbance. He was arrested for disorderly intoxication. And I really just want to know if you ever went back to an Olive Garden. <laughs> Alright guys, it's a shorter podcast. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to check out the Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. By the way, shout out to Jay Keys on Twitter. You were awesome warning me about the severe weather. I really appreciate it. Thank you for reaching out and taking the time to think about me. I, that made my day. Thank you guys for joining in on the weekly polls and questions. Please don't forget to tag That Florida Feeling on your photos on Instagram, even on Facebook, so I can see what your favorite uh, places in Florida are or just what you were doing. Even if you turn into a Florida man, <laughs> that's totally fine. Reach out to me if you have any comments or suggestions or you just want to say hi. I love hearing from you guys. If you have a second, I really would appreciate the five stars on Apple with a comment or five stars on Spotify now. Alright guys, thanks for still tuning in and listening to me ramble on about Florida each week. Don't forget to drink water, be nice to others, and as always guys, that's your daily dose of sunshine.